Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. What is up, Brendan K with Master Talk? We're going to talk about the importance of focusing on one thing and one thing only because we've heard this before, but why is it so important? And you have some thoughts on this and I want to dive in straight away to get to it and let's really start to unpack why it is that this is a true statement. And then secondly, how we can start to really identify what that one thing is. So first and foremost, why Brendan is focusing on one thing so vital to success? Of course, Billy. Always a pleasure to see you and your handsome face. And with that said, let's get into one thing. Why is that a matter? Why is that important? Why should people do that? So let's start understanding life from a principles basis which is the way I see it anyways, is life is a game of odds. Nothing is guaranteed in life. You're improving the odds. Think of somebody like Tom Brady. He almost didn't get drafted into the NFL. Think about that. The One of the best quarterbacks of all time, one of the best QBs who have ever played the game of football, almost didn't get drafted into the very thing that he ended up doing. Imagine if he didn't get drafted. He would have stayed the insurance agent to us the rest of his life. Everything is a game of odds, Billy. And I've always believed that the best way to win the game of life is to maximize your odds. And the best way to maximize your odds, to improve the likelihood of achieving something, is to do one thing. To focus on one idea, one concept, one direction for what you want your life's purpose to be. And if we look at it statistically, the vast majority of people who are successful in life, not 100%, nothing's always an ultimatum, but almost 100% have always been known for one thing. Serena Williams, tennis, Roger Federer, tennis, Michael Jordan, basketball, different ideas are focuses on one thing. Even Gary Vaynerchuk, who talks a lot about how he built multiple things and he has multiple ideas and things juggling around. It's his focus on Vader media that made him successful, right? So everybody who has been successful has done it on one thing. So that's why I highly recommend everyone start thinking on this lens is you could work on different projects if you want, but you need to figure out what is the one thing that will actually make you and allow you to create an impact that is only unique to you. Well, the interesting thing is that if you focus on one thing and you get to where you want to go with that one thing, 
that can actually be a catalyst and lead to more opportunities because there is plenty of examples of people who have really dominated with one thing, but then as they started to evolve, they branched out. And I think the problem though most people have is they spread themselves too thin. And believe me, I'm guilty of this too, where I'm focused on too many things, right? And my friend politely told me a one seventh or a one sixth Billy is not as a is good as a whole Billy focused on one thing. And so to your point, I do think there's some odds that go into this. So talk a little bit about the math and the way in which you think about if you're focused on one thing, why the math works out better in your favor. So let's use a simple example to make things a bit easier to understand. So let's say, okay, you want to learn how to bake a cake. Okay, and you really want to get good at baking this cake. You want to build the best cake in the world. So you have a couple of options, right? You bake a cake every single day. Maybe you do it every week. Maybe you do it every month. Take a class every week, et cetera, et cetera. And until you're able to master it. So let's say you go with option one, which is you bake a new cake every week. Well, if you do that, you'll definitely get better over time. But since you're baking a cake every week, you probably got a bunch of other stuff going on. You're probably watching a lot of TV. You're probably going to school. You probably got your day job. So you still get better at baking that cake, but it takes you a long time, maybe even a couple of months before you actually start to get the hang of this cake baking thing. But what about option two? What if your sole obsession was baking cakes? You're like, you know what? I want to be the best cake baker of all time. And you start baking 10 cakes a day. Do 10 cakes a day. So what happens is because you're spending a lot more time on this task in a much smaller time frame, you're able to get more cakes out. So the same person who spent maybe a couple of months getting really good at cakes, or maybe in a couple of years, the second person who just spent their whole time, all their energy, all their effort just on baking cakes, they become world champions in just a few months. They become one of the best cake builders in the world or at least in their city. Whereas the point is simple, is the less things you focus on, the more time you could spend on those things. And the more time that you can spend on those things, the more likely that you are to succeed at that those things. Here's another way that I always like to explain it from Seth Godin. Seth Godin has a great perspective on this. He says that the culture is skewed towards people who win first place in a skill. So if you're in the top 1% of a skill or you're number one at it, you will get a significant chunk of all of the impact, all the revenue, all the everything that comes from that market versus everyone else in that market. And of course, it's worth pointing out as a caveat that life is also about having fun, right? I mean, you can try different things, try different passion projects. But I think my message is mostly focused on people who want to make a big impact in the world, the world changers, people who want to make a big difference. I would say for those specific individuals, when you spend more time on a smaller number of activities, you get dangerously good at them. And that's really the secret behind how I got really good at communication coaching. It wasn't the fact that I just came out of my mother's womb and I was like, yeah, but this is going to be this uh, great public speaking coach. That's not what happened. I just presented a lot, you know, from the ages of 19 to 22, Billy, I presented at least 400 times. And I've coached at least 150 people before I even had the idea for MasterTalk. I coached 150 people, presented hundreds of times. And that's why I was able to get really good at that because I didn't really do anything else with my life. 
why are we so vulnerable when it comes to being distracted by multiple things? Because I don't think I'm unique. And I think there's plenty of us out there who have this, call it attraction to multiple things. Why is that? And then second part of the question is, what can we do to avoid succumbing to all of the shiny objects? I mean, myself included. I mean, just last week, we had a conversation about cryptos and currencies and all that stuff. And during that conversation, I was thinking, huh, maybe I should get into this thing. Maybe I should jump into this crypto thing and do some NFT project or something. So even I get caught in these distractions too. I think the real question is, what is the difference between people who let distractions overwhelm their decision-making process versus those who are able to see those distractions as distractions and go, yeah, this is a waste of my time. I'm not focusing on those things. That's really the key. So how do you do that? So let's start by explaining why these distractions happen, why we have lack of focus, because you're right, it's definitely not a one case. You're definitely not a category of one, let's put it that way. Uh, We're a category of many, and a lot of us struggle with that, including me. And it's normal, by the way, Billy. Remember, the brain is not wired for focus. The brain is not wired for happiness. The brain is wired, as we say many times in this podcast, for survival. Once again, what is the best way to survive? To cooperate, to see what other people are doing, and to copy their success or to try to. There's another piece around this by a French philosopher named René Girard, and he calls this mimetic theory. And mimetic theory is essentially a theory around that humans don't really aspire to do much, but rather see what other human beings are doing and just copy what they're doing. So let's say you're working on some crazy idea. You want to make the best banana bread in the world. You are this banana bread aficionado. You love bananas. You love bread. You want to be the best at this thing. But then your buddy comes up to you and goes, I just made $5 million on this NFT. And you're like, shit, should I stop this banana bread expenditure? Should I just focus on NFTs? Because that person's successful and I admire that person. And that's where the challenge comes from. We want to focus on our thing because that's our thing. We know it's our thing. Many of the times anyway, it's not all the time, but many of the times. But we get lost because we see other people, other human beings winning big and other spaces to a point where they go, well, Billy, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you starting a YouTube channel? Why aren't you baking a cake? Why aren't you doing the next hottest thing right now? There's so many people making money off of it. And that's really the main reason why that lack of focus happens. But now with that said, how do we get rid of that focus in general? How do we make sure, have that perspective, have that confidence to pursue that thing? And the best strategy I've thought of that has worked for me is projecting the 10-year vision. So picture yourself 10 years from today and imagine if you focused on the same thing for 10 years, where would you be? What would you do? How would you feel? What results would you have? And when you start to visualize Brendan at 35, Billy in his 50s, if that person made the right decision and focused on just that one thing, what monster business, what monster impact that person would make? Last thing, I'll throw it back to you. Will Smith said it best as well that I absolutely love. And his quote is, every time you do not do something world-class that you're world-class as, you're actually doing a disservice to the world because there's somebody else who can be doing that seven out of 10 thing that you're working on. Got it. Yeah. I mean, dude, there's so many reasons why we should focus on one thing. I really loved the cake example that you shared earlier because- if you just become amazing at baking a cake and it could just be one and one type of cake, by the way, like you could just be cheesecake person 
and just creating, like, I love how we're talking about banana bread, talking about cake, talking about cheese. So I have a friend who actually runs a very successful cheesecake business. It's one of the best in town, probably the best and most well-known cheesecake spot in Los Angeles. And he's become world-class at it. And we, we talked about this in our episode, putting yourself in a category of one. Your odds of putting yourself in a category of one are significantly higher if you are focused on that one thing. And conversely, they're significantly lower if you dilute your focus across multiple endeavors. So if we know that innately, because our brain is wired for survival, that we are going to maybe look at other people out there and see what they're doing and therefore copy them and use them as examples. What are some, what's a framework or a strategy that we could apply real world right now that will allow us to consistently focus and have that 10-year plan? Because great, have a 10-year plan and have that vision, project that vision. And the more you could think through all of the elements of the plan is really, really key. But what else keeps us on track? Because if that is an important part of the formula, how do we make sure that we don't move off course and we always bring ourselves back to looking at the 10-year plan? Great question. I would say that here's the worst way to do it. Doing it alone is the worst thing you could do. I would say the best way to be successful in a 10-year plan is to communicate it as frequently as possible with the people around you so they hold you accountable to that 10-year plan. Like, for example, my business partner knows where I want to be at 35. So he holds me accountable to those standards. So if I start having shiny object syndrome, he slaps me on the head. He goes, no, that's not where your focus is. We already had this discussion. Focus on the 10-year plan. And then he reminds me of the stuff that I saw, the accomplishments I want to have, the feeling I want to have, the money in my bank account, like all that stuff. And when you get constantly reminded by other people about your 10-year vision, it keeps you razor-focused on the bullseye. It keeps you razor-focused on the goal. But the other piece as well that's important to talk about is how do you find the one thing if you haven't found it yet? And it's not easy, I'll be honest, because my one thing has changed. I'm being counterintuitive to my own advice, but it's true. It has changed multiple times, and now it's not going to change. But I'll walk you all through that process. I think the key is... You need to make decisions, Billy. And as you make decisions and as you develop and mature as a human being, you also become much more self-aware about what you're good at and what you're exceptional at. So here's an easy framework that people can do. Take out a piece of paper right now. Don't wait until this episode is done. Take action right now because I know you won't do it if you wait until the end of the episode. So everyone who's listening, open your notepad, open your phone, open, get your pen out. And I want you to write down five things that you feel you're the most skilled at. Five things that you're absolutely world-class at, that you're just like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm better than most people at this thing and make a list. So I made that list when I was in my early 20s. Accounting was one of those things. Management consulting was another one of those things. Coaching on public speaking, coaching on career, coaching on life as well. So I just wrote down a bunch of stuff. So write that down, five, seven, nine things. That's step one. Step two I did this with my clients the other day on speech topics, so you can apply that for that too, is I want you to write a number, a number next to each thing. And the number corresponds to the following. And I really want you to pay attention to this question. The question is, how energetically excited would you be to do that one thing for the next five to 10 years? Let me repeat that again. How energetically excited would you be 
to do that one thing for the next five to 10 years. So now you're going to look at your list of five things and you're going to associate a number to each one. And you'll realize really quickly that there's going to be some fives because it makes you a lot of money, but you don't really like it. You're going to see some sevens, you're going to see some nines, and you're going to see one or two tens. I want you to focus 80% of your energy on those two tens. Why did you make it 10 there? Why is that a 10? And really focus all of your time on that. Number three is I highly recommend doing this with friends because you'll realize, and this is where I get really excited about this exercise, that your three is my 10. Like I'll get an easy example that people can relate to. When we first met, okay, we both had a Zoom call together. The first thing that we got, we got related on, like our first common mutual, I guess, interest was around public speaking because you used to give seminars in, in universities around communication. You had a passion for it. You loved it. And you have a huge passion for it. So if, if I had to give you a number on 10, you're probably eight at least, if not 8.5 or nine. But there's other things that you're 10 at, which is curiosity, which is understanding people, which is interviewing other people on their insights, which you, you do an incredible job at, Billy. Whereas somebody like me, interviewing other people, meh, I'm curious. I guess I'm an eight there, but interviewing other people, I'm a five. But public speaking, I'm an 11. So your eight is my 11. That's why I should be doing the public speaking thing and you should be doing the interviewing thing because that's what we're both world-class at. And that's what the world needs us to do. The world needs us to work on each other's 10s and 11s because the 10 and the 11 is something that we're exceptionally can be talented at. And only we can figure out the answer if we can be. And I can show you how to do that as well. And the other piece is we're willing to play for a long time on that thing. So I love the framework. I love the intentionality. I love that you suggest also working with others as you figure all of this out. The question that I then have for you is, what if you are wrong? What if you've identified the wrong thing and maybe you're starting to second guess the direction that you've gone? How do you determine if that is actually the case? If you've made a misstep and you started going down the wrong path, how do you undo that and redirect your path or any other suggestions you have to determine if in fact you're, you've gone down the, route, the wrong path? So I do have an honest answer to this. Extremely controversial, but I just believe it to be true. And I think most people disagree with me or just flat out wrong on this. Comparison. Comparison is the key to truth. Okay, a lot of people tell you, you know, Bill, you should never compare yourself to other people. That's dangerous. I think that's nonsense. I think comparison, if you compare the right things, right? Comparison is like a toolbox. If you compare the right thing, the wrong things, like the money and the status and the celebrity and the cars, you're doing it wrong. But if you use it like a tool, like a screwdriver and the right screw and you do it correctly, you compare the right things, then you'll know what to pursue. So let's have some tough love, honest conversation with Brendan. Brendan's not meant to be an NBA basketball player. It doesn't matter how cool my mom thinks I am. It's not going to happen. I don't have the genetics. I have a crooked left arm. I'm not six feet. It's not going to happen. So I have that honesty with myself and I have people around my circles who don't BS me, who go, buddy, I love you. You're not going to be an NBA player. Get over it. So the key here is two things, Billy. One is the ability to project yourself in 10 years. Are you happy with what that outcome is? Ask yourself before you make even the decision. But the second piece is having an honest conversation of saying me versus everyone else in the world for the goal that I have, for the goal that I want to achieve, which in, in my frame, in this frame context 
is making a difference in the world. And in my opinion, the only way you make a big difference in the world is if you're number one at what you do. If you're so good that everyone wants to be around you, they want to learn from you. Because if I was a second-rate speech coach, I wouldn't make that much impact. I wouldn't make that much income. I got to be a first-rate one or else I better do something else with my life. So in that lens, we need to compare ourselves in a healthy way to other people in the industry. I'll give you a great example with me. So when I was in business school, so I wasn't debating between changing the world or anything. I was debating between three career options, being an accountant at a big four accounting firm, Pricewaterhouse, Deloitte, KPMG, Ernest & Young. Choice number two, become a management consultant at McKinsey, Bain & Company, BCG, IBM, et cetera. And number three, be an investment banker on Wall Street. That was my third, right? Or Bay Street, I guess the Canadian version. So I looked at all three. I was like, investment banking makes the most money. And then I had an honest conversation with my friends in investment banking, and I knew I couldn't beat them. They work 110 hours a week. They're on Adderall 24-7. They're high cutthroat competitive. They know their numbers inside and out. I can't beat these kids. That's not going to happen. It's not a people's game. That's not how investment banking works. I'll lose. So I didn't play. Last two careers, accounting, management consulting. Management consulting is perfect for me. It's all client relationships. It's all people right? You're building relationships with clients. It's amazing, but it's highly competitive. So I cannot be guaranteed a job in consulting. So I had an honest conversation with this ability. And I said, this, I really want to do this, but I need a safety net. So I got a job in accounting first because the odds of success is much higher because like five to 10% of all accounting grads get a job at the big four accounting firms. The odds of success are much higher. So I played my odds, got the job, and then got into consulting later with that safety net. So notice how in every stage of my life, I always compared myself to other people, but I did it in the right way. I didn't do it in the sense of, oh, Billy's better than me at this. No, that's not going to help you. It's saying, oh, Billy's doing this because that's what he's meant to do. So let me go do something else with my life. Once again, to summarize, have that honest conversation, compare yourself to people who are successful, and ask yourself, if I put in a thousand hours, could I actually get to that level? Yes or no? And if the answer is maybe, try and find a yes somewhere on the list. Yeah, man. Well, look, I think that you have to be honest with yourself and you have to leverage those around you who will not hold back and also being very direct and blunt with you. Now, as we close up here, I have one final question for you. We've talked and part of the mission and and the reason why we have these conversations is that we want anyone listening to make a monumental impact to leave your mark on this planet, to do something significant. And part of doing and being significant means that you have to be world-class at something. You cannot be average. But the reality is somebody that bakes 10 cakes a day, just because they bake 10 cakes a day doesn't mean they're going to be world-class. This is a hard one. How do we make sure that if we are going to be diligent and razor or laser focused on one thing, how do we make sure that we are on the right trajectory to put ourselves in a category of one and truly be world-class at it? What can we be doing along the way? What milestones should we be looking at? You talk about comparison. What else can we be doing to make sure that we are tracking towards where we need to go? Just because I want to be a professional baseball player just like you want to be a professional MBA or whatever, doesn't mean that we're tracking that way. No matter how many free throws you shoot, no matter how many baseballs I throw or bats that I swing, I'm not going to get there, right? So what 
can we be doing to be world-class at that one thing? And you're right. That is the challenge, Billy. And this is the truth that people need to hear is even if you focus your entire life on one thing, you could still not do anything significant with your life. And that is just the truth. Even if you focus on one thing, if you pick the wrong thing, you'll still end up screwing it up, right? <laughs> and for lack of a better word, you, you absolutely could. There's only one remedy out of this. And this is basically what this entire show is about, is how do we go into the meticulous details? You know how insane I am, Billy, right? And how I really spend the time to meticulously understand what it actually takes to be in that top percentile. So before I made the decision to even start Master Talk, I studied all the speech coaches on YouTube. I watched all their videos for like five, six hours, and I just listened to all of them, and I pointed flaws in the game. That's another point that you can do is finding holes in somebody who's already beating you. If you can find many, many holes in their thinking, that generally means you're on the right track. Not necessarily, not all the time, but it, it's a good hint, right? So I'll just use my personal example because it's easier for people to relate to. Because I saw all the mistakes that everyone else was making, it made perfect sense in my head to say, if I, given my age, if I did this for 10 years, I could totally pull it off, which is starting to happen. But going back to you, the individual, I would say, depending on what you've chosen as your big thing, you want to write down a list of the top three people who are winning in that one thing, and you want to study everything down to where they grew up, who their parents were, who did they date when they were younger, like everything. Know everything about them. Know them so well that you know them better than they know themselves. That's how meticulous you need to understand them. So that way you understand what made them successful, but also what were the pieces of their success that was entirely based on luck? Like in Bill Gates' situation, yeah, sure, he, he was a revolutionary, really smart individual, but he also had access to one of the first supercomputers ever in the United States because he grew up in a wealthy family. So he had a significant advantage over someone who, who would have been impoverished and had the same talent as Bill did. Doesn't mean I'm discrediting Bill. What I'm saying is you need to understand every part of the puzzle. And the truth is, Billy, even regardless of how much you do your research, you'll never have all the pieces. So that's why you still got to make a decision. Even today, I'm still studying my competition. But what I will say is a life well lived is to make the decision to even pursue this to begin with. Most of us don't even do this. We kind of just get lost in our child lives. We just do a bunch of things. We end up doing nothing important with our lives. I'm just being honest. Whereas I think from this conversation, what I really want to pull home is if there's one thing you want to take away, you know, one thing, it's fall in love with being world-class at one thing. Because if you want to serve the world that badly, you want to make an impact, understand that one of the few ways of doing that, the only way I know of, is to take the swing at one thing anyways. As much as I would love to leave it there, you reminded me of one thing that happened yesterday, which is you wrote something down. And what you just shared just now is a perfect, perfect lead-in to leave everyone with this final insight, which is really about when you study those people and understand them, one of the big things you need to understand is not just what they did well, but what they didn't do well. Can you talk a little bit about why that's so important? I'll give you the final word and then we'll wrap this one up. Thanks for rejogging my mind on that one, Billy. Absolutely. So one insight I shared with Billy last night that's, that would be useful for all of you 
is whenever we study successful people, like the top three for the one thing you want to focus on, you want to also ask yourself a very simple question that most of us don't think to, which is what are the mistakes that that person has made in their life that we shouldn't be making in ours? And what this does is it forces you to give feedback to the person that you deeply, deeply admire. So I'll give you an example. This was very difficult to do for Seth Godin. I'm a diehard Seth Godin fan. He's probably one of my biggest heroes. And it was really difficult to find holes in this game. He has done a lot of things right. It's really difficult to take someone as prolific as that human being and give him criticism. But I did it. I sat myself down. I was like, what did you do wrong? And I made a list. And once I made that list, it reassured me that Seth Godin was a human being that was flawed like all of us. And when I got that reassurance, it gave me the confidence to go, I could be just like him someday in a different field, not marketing, but in something else like public speaking. So I encourage all of you to look at the people that you admire and don't put them up on pedestals. That is not how you become world-class, but rather going, what are the mistakes that that individual has made that I shouldn't be making so I can have an edge over this person and I can make just as big of an impact, if not bigger impact than that ever that human being did in their lifetime? Yeah, man. And I, I think the key here is that when we look at other people's experience and we learn from their experience, we are shortening the time it takes us to get where we need to go because we're not going to make the same missteps. We have to be very targeted with what we do and what we don't do. And sometimes it's the what we don't do and the mistakes that we avoid. Because you've talked about Scott Harrison and in his 20s. And you talked about Lewis Howes. And you talked about all of these guys have done things and amazing, amazing things. But they've also admitted that there's things they've done in their lives that they maybe shouldn't have done or they, they regret. And so when you recognize those things, especially you as a younger guy, you could begin to reduce the amount of time it takes for you to get to the point where you want to get. So thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. We're excited to share this. Hopefully you got some value. And uh, if you haven't yet checked out Master Talk on YouTube, go subscribe. He's quickly growing and uh, by leaps and bound. And if you haven't subscribed to Inside Out, please go ahead and go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe as well as uh, look forward to a brand new newsletter that's coming out. It's going to take a lot of these concepts, put it into written form and really synthesize all of the, the golden nuggets into bite-sized pieces. So check that out. If you're not currently following us, follow us and that way you'll get those amazing, amazing insights directly to you on LinkedIn. All right, you guys take care, have a good one, and we will talk soon. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.